listened to a sermon a few days ago about fire, and uh, it stuck in my heart and in my mind to the point that whenever I thought and prayed about the service this morning, this was kind of the only, the only thought that would come to mind is the fire, the fire. Depending on what church tradition you are associated with, the idea of the fire as it relates to God's work in our hearts and particularly as we talk about moves of the Holy Spirit and moves of revival, then you may have different ideas or different uh, images that come into your mind when you think about the fire as it is connected to, uh, to the work of God in our midst. There are a number of things that are for certain. There is something about fire that draws people to it. My kids love to have a fire in the fire pit uh, at certain times of the year. And uh, I enjoy that myself. You find uh, something about the, the, when there's a chill in the evening air and you can have a fire and draw up close to it. There's just something, oh, something that the fire does for you. It warms the cold. It brightens the, uh, the, the surroundings. Fire is also dangerous and a destructive, powerful force. The first place in scripture where fire is connected with God is in Exodus chapter 3 when God appears to Moses in the burning bush. You remember I said that fire attracts people. And Moses, as he's going through the wilderness, caring for his father-in-law's sheep, looks to see a bush that is on fire but not consumed. And he turns aside to see what this is all about. You know, God can use fire in a way that's safe and does not consume what he does not intend for it to consume. The scripture lesson that I want to read to you this morning is from Leviticus chapter 6. Leviticus chapter 6, beginning with verse 8. These are instructions to the high priests through Moses about how the priests are to maintain the fire on the altar of sacrifice in the tabernacle at that time and, and what would later become the temple, Solomon's temple. <clears throat> Before I read, there's one thing that I want to point out to you. Some of you are probably aware of this, but just to remind you, in both places, both the, the tabernacle when the... Uh, tabernacle, the sacrificial system of worship was initiated in the tabernacle and then later when Solomon built the temple and, and they began to make sacrifices to God there and burnt offerings there, in both cases God lit the fire. God lit the fire. And so that is an important thing for us to keep in mind as we read this scripture lesson. Leviticus chapter 6 beginning with verse 8. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, Just realize I didn't turn my microphone on, I'm sorry. 
Okay. Brother James, my microphone's on now. Let's start again. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth on the altar all night until the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and put his linen undergarment on his body. And he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar and put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments and put on other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it, and shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. Let's pause for just a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you see our needs this morning. And Lord, we are aware that we are insufficient and incapable of accomplishing what needs to be done. Lord, we can't, we can't muster up what we need by pulling up our own bootstraps or by working ourselves to an emotional pitch. And Lord, we wouldn't want what that would result in anyway. So, Father, we simply come to you this morning asking that you and your grace would visit us with the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, would you put within our hearts a willingness to wait before you, a willingness to position ourselves in such a way that you're able to do in our hearts and lives what you want to do. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We read about fire throughout the Bible, and uh, I suppose the very first place we read about fire is when Adam and Eve are cast out of the Garden of Eden, and there are angelic creatures who are placed at the entrance to the Garden of Eden with flaming swords in order to prevent Adam and Eve from ever entering back in to the Garden of Eden. As we read throughout Scripture, and I'm sure I'm not going to exhaust uh, everything that could be said about the symbolism of fire, but there are specifically uh, four ideas that I want to mention to you this morning uh, about the symbolism of fire. One, uh, we see very early on that fire uh, is uh, associated with God's destruction and judgment upon the wicked. In Genesis chapter 19 and verse 24, we read about the judgment upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and how wicked that city was. And in spite of the fact that there was a righteous man named Abraham who was interceding for the city and praying uh, that God would somehow spare the city, God did not find the righteous persons there uh, that Abraham was asking him to look for. Only was there Lot and his family 
family, and God in his mercy and grace spared Lot and his family and gave them an opportunity to escape. But when the time came for destruction, fire and brimstone fell upon those wicked cities, and they were destroyed. Fire is associated with God's destruction and judgment. Fire is also associated with God's presence. It is associated with God's presence. You remember in Exodus chapter 13 when God began to use Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and through the wilderness into the promised land that he led them very clearly. And by day there was a pillar of cloud and by night a pillar of fire. And the fire was symbolic to them of God's presence. And, and uh, the Bible tells, them, tells us that whenever the, the cloud or the fire, whenever it lifted and began to move, that they knew that was their sign that they were supposed to pack up and begin preparing to leave wherever their encampment was and go on to the next place. Fire is also symbolic of God's acceptance. God's acceptance. There are a number of places in Scripture that we read about this. In Leviticus chapter 9, verse 24, I'm very close to it, so uh, I'm just going to turn there and read it to you. This is the beginning, the initiation of the sacrificial system of worship. And uh, verse 22, it says, Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them, and he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces." Fire, a sign of God's acceptance. Something similar happened uh, that we can read about in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. It's there that we read about Solomon's uh, dedication of the temple, that beautiful, beautiful temple uh, that he built. His father David had desired to build the temple, but God said, no, you will not be the one to build the temple, but your son will. And so David began to gather the materials together and collect them, and he commissioned his son Solomon to build this beautiful, magnificent place for God to associate with his dwelling there. And we read how Solomon prayed, and when Solomon prayed, the fire, fire of God fell from heaven and lit the sacrifice. Fire, a sign of God's acceptance. Another story, I don't have the scripture reference on the screen, but you will probably remember from, I believe it's 2 Kings, the story where Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal. And they go up on the mountain and he says to them, you build your altar and you pray. You go first, I'll give you the advantage. You've got home court advantage. You pray and seek your God and do whatever it is you feel like you need to do. And he says, then I'll pray to Jehovah and the God who answers by fire, that is the one. That's how we will know who the true God is. And those poor old prophets of Baal began to go through their rituals of worship and, and uh, dancing and jumping up and down and getting, uh, working themselves in such a state of emotional fervor and fury. They began to cut themselves until the blood flowed freely. And uh, Elijah just stood over there watching and kind of 
needling a little bit, saying, where is your God? Maybe, maybe he's indisposed. Maybe he's on a trip and can't answer. Call louder. And then you remember how Elijah gave instructions to rebuild the altar of the Lord. There's, there's a message right there, but that's not the message for this morning. He gave instructions to rebuild the altar of the Lord and to lay the sacrifice in order on the altar. And then gave the instructions with, to, to, to have a, a ditch around the base of that altar and then to pour water on the altar just to soak it good. I've, how many times was it? Somebody help me. Thank you. Just over and over again until the ditch was uh, around that uh, altar was full of water and the sacrifice was thoroughly soaked. Elijah wanted to be sure that there was no misunderstanding, there was no mistaking, and he prayed a very short, simple prayer. And God fell in fire and gave his sanction on Elijah's direction, on, on Elijah's leadership of the people, demonstrating that he is the one true God. And the people said, the Lord, Jehovah, he is God, he is God. But fire also is a symbol to us of God's purifying work, God's purifying power. Matthew chapter 3, we read a little bit about the preaching of John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist came, the people, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, others came asking him uh, if he was the Messiah, are you the one who is to come? And John said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, I baptize you with, fire, or with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. All of these things and more. Fire, symbolic of God's destructive power, His judgment, God's presence, God's acceptance, God's purifying power. So far, I think, I don't think I'm going to keep you very long this morning. I just have a few questions that I want to ask you. The first is simply this Do you have the fire of God burning on the altar of your heart. Do you have the fire? And I'm talking about a God-originated fire. First of all, not a memory from the past. Not a memory from the past. I enjoy reminiscing about the past. I mentioned to you a moment ago the services that I remember from when I was a little boy. It was at Camby Campground in, uh, on the Indianapolis district uh, of the Church of the Nazarene. Old-fashioned shouting Nazarenes there. And I remember how the saints would get blessed and they would run and they would shout and praise the Lord. I've got to be honest with you and tell you sometimes I miss those days. I enjoyed those services when I was... 
when I was a little boy, I just looked around with wide eyes. I suppose, I think I remember one of the very first times that I began to sense something internally. I don't know how old I was. I was quite young. But I sensed something in my heart that let me know, God, God is here. God's Spirit is here. His Spirit is moving. One of my kids just a day or two ago was asking about nostalgia. And uh, what is nostalgia? What does that mean? Nostalgia is good. Thank God for good memories. But friends, we cannot warm ourselves beside fires of yesterday. Neither can we warm ourselves at someone else's fire for very long. It's easy in our church tradition. When I say that, I mean it's a little bit broader than just the Church of the Nazarene. I I guess probably we could trace the term a warm-hearted religion back to John Wesley, who when he said he received the assurance of salvation, his heart was strangely warm. And people, I firmly believe in a warm-hearted religion. I believe in a Christianity that is beyond ritual, it is beyond liturgy, though in their place those things are all right, I don't mind that, uh, and I don't, I'm not restricting God to any one particular form or style of worship. I wouldn't want to do that. But what I do want to tell you is that anywhere, everywhere where worship of the one true God is happening, somehow, some way, God by His Spirit will let people know that He is real and that He is present. One of the things that's easy to do when we're in a service or a setting where God is moving and the Spirit is stirring hearts and perhaps the saints are praising God and people are encouraged is, is just to, to look around and then maybe draw a little bit close to someone else who's experiencing that, that for themselves and we can, for just a little while, warm ourselves by someone else's fire. But friends, can I kindly tell you, it's not enough for us to occasionally be warmed at the fire of someone else. You need the fire of God in your own heart and soul this morning. Not a memory from the past, not being warmed at someone else's fire, and not a fire of your own making. Not a fire of your own making. We spoke just a little bit ago about the prophets of Baal and how they worked themselves up into an emotional fever pitch to to such a degree that uh, they were cutting themselves and just going through all kinds of of, uh, rigmarole to try to bring their God on the scene. And people, I've seen that happen in Christian churches. Or maybe if we sing the chorus enough times, maybe if we repeat that verse enough times, and you might be sitting there saying, well, pastor, you repeat verses and choruses all the time. If I'm repeating a verse or a chorus, it's because I sense that God is already stirring. God is already, at least he is in me. 
I'm not trying to manufacture or work something up. If I'm going back and I'm saying, we need to sing that verse again, we need to sing that chorus again, it's because I've, my heart has been lifted and encouraged to think about what God can do. In Isaiah chapter 44, we read about the folly of idolatry. And there the prophet talks about a man who will cut down a tree. And part of that tree he will burn in the fire and use it to bake bread on and use it to warm his house. And part of that tree he will shape into an idol and bow down and worship it. Isaiah 44 verse 19 says, No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, Half of it I burned in the fire, I also baked bread on its coals, I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? In other words, I've used this. What the prophet is saying is, nobody, you don't realize how foolish you're being. You're taking a chunk of wood shaping it into an idol, bowing down to it with that same piece of wood. You're heating your house and you're, you're trying to keep yourself warm. What's interesting is if we back up a little bit and read verse 16, we read again there, half of it he burns in the fire, over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. I don't want to name any one particular group of people, but there are all kinds of, probably multiple religions, but also the, the Christian religion is full of, uh, of segments of people who have manufactured something that maybe for a little while looked like fire, seemed like fire, and, and uh, there are people in those settings that are saying, Aha, I have seen the fire but it was a fire of their own making. Do you have the fire? Second, are you caring for the fire? Are you caring for the fire? We go back to the scripture lesson that we read from Leviticus. There they were given special instructions in chapter 6 and verse 10 to keep the ashes removed, to clean the ashes off of the, off of the hearth, the place where the fire was supposed to be burned. And then they were given special instructions of how those ashes were to be disposed of. Why? Because those ashes, if they build up to a degree, they can hinder, they can quench the fire. And what are the ashes if not a representation of the fires of yesterday? Thank God that there was fire yesterday. Or whenever it was, you can look back and think about the last time maybe you had fire. Thank God if you have those memories. But God is telling his people and he's telling the priests that there must be fire continually on the altar and you remove the ash, you remove that representation of the fire from yesterday and every morning put fresh wood on the fire. Get rid of the ash and add the fuel to the fire. And then we see this command given three times in this passage, not to let the fire go out. Don't let the fire die. 
Don't let the fire go out. Why? A number of reasons why I believe. One is simply because it was a divine fire. It was a God-originated fire. And friends, that's something that none of us can buy for any price. We can't work it up within ourselves. But when God comes into our hearts and touches our lives with fire, oh, we want to do whatever we have to do to maintain the fire of God upon the altar of our hearts. Sometimes, often I realize how busy life is for me and how much of a challenge it is. I'm thankful. The, the first church that I pastored, it was there for three years. When we got to the place where we realized we ought to be moving on, I put my resume out to a number of different church leaders to let them know I was available, and I did not get a single call. I know there were churches out there that needed pastors, but not a single church called. So at that point, I did the only thing that I knew to do. I loaded a moving van up and loaded our family up, and we moved back to Ohio near where Rachel's family is from. I went back to a place where I had worked before. I had called them ahead of time and said, hey, if, I'm, if I come back, would you, do you think you would rehire me? They said, absolutely. You come back, you've got a job. So we went back and uh, I, I lived there. We lived there for, what, seven years, I think. And I struggled during that time in a number of ways. Was, was God through with me? Was I through in the ministry? I didn't know what was going on. But one of the things God taught me during that time frame that was invaluable was to, to have a great deal of sympathy for you all, for people that sit in the pews. You see, when you're a pastor or a church leader, it is part of your job to maintain your relationship with the Lord. You can't do your job if you don't maintain your relationship with the Lord. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a job or a chore. I'm just saying when you're a pastor, that's part of the job. And I'm afraid I've heard pastors berate and speak harshly to their people. And friends, if I've ever done that, you forgive me. But I realized during that time frame when I was working 40 plus hours a week, caring for my family, going to church, and trying to maintain my soul at the same time, what a challenge it is to be just a, a lay person in the pew. We're busy We've got a lot going on, but friends, can I kindly tell you, we cannot afford to let the fire die in our hearts. Finally, are you willing to submit to the fire? Are you willing to submit to the fire? God, man, God dealt with me about this a number of different times this past week. You see, where fire is concerned, whatever will burn is destroyed. 
Whatever will burn is destroyed. Whatever will not burn will be transformed. Whether it's something that has an impurity that needs to, to be gotten rid of, whether it's, uh, it's iron being forged or welded, there are just a number of analogies that we can make. But whatever will burn will be destroyed. Whatever will not burn will be transformed. But one thing is for sure, no one is left unchanged by the fire. And friends, I can tell you, when you think about submitting yourself to the fire, there, there ought not to be any of us who is willing to do that too quickly without a... I don't want to say we do it reluctantly, but you should not do it thoughtlessly. I can't tell you what the price will be, but there will be a price. And before we begin seeking God for the fire, we need to search and examine our hearts and ask ourselves, am I willing to submit to the fire? Because I understand that whatever will burn will be destroyed and whatever will not burn will be transformed and I'm not going to come out the same way that I went in. But friends, whatever it is, having said that, having said that, don't do it thoughtlessly, but friends, could I encourage you to realize this morning that there's nothing that we need greater than a fresh touch of the fire of God on the altar of our hearts? to keep the fire burning, to keep the ashes clear. Thank God for those things that represent the fires of yesterday. But if we continue to live with the fires of yesterday, what you will end up with is a pile of ash and clinkers. And it won't burn. You've got to keep the ash clear. Some of you I know will recognize this man. General William Booth, when General William Booth was asked for the secret of his success, he said, I will tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities, but from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision of all Jesus Christ could do with them, on that day I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. Friends, that's a picture of somebody willing to submit to the fire and to say, whatever it takes, Lord, I want the fire. I want your fire in my heart. Remember at the beginning of the symbolism of fire. It's destructive. And friends, there may be some things in your life that need to be destroyed, that need to be gotten rid of. But oh, the fire represents God's presence and God's acceptance. And it's wonderful when we realize God has touched our heart with fire and we realize He's come in His presence and in His power and He's there. William Booth wrote these words, and I close 
with this. Thou Christ of burning, cleansing flame, send the fire, send the fire, send the fire. Thy blood-bought gift today we claim, send the fire. Look down and see this waiting host. Give us the promised Holy Ghost. We want another Pentecost, send the fire. God of Elijah, hear our cry, send the fire, send the fire, send the fire. To make us fit to live or die, send the fire. To burn up every trace of sin, to bring the light and glory in. The revolution now begins, send the fire. Tis fire we want, for fire we plead. Send the fire, send the fire. The fire will meet our every need, send the fire. For strength to ever do the right. For grace to conquer in the fight. For power to walk the world in white. Send the fire. To make our weak hearts strong and brave. Send the fire. Send the fire. Send the fire. To live a dying world to save. Send the fire. Oh, see us on thy altar lay. Our lives are all this very day. To crown the offering now we pray. Send the fire. Would you stand with me, please?